Om Namo Narayanaya. This is a recording of a talk of James Swartz on the Bhagavad Gita at Yoga Vidya Bad Meinberg near Hanover in Germany. Om Brahmanandam Paramasukadam Kivalam Yaramultim Pundvati Tam Pinganasadrisham Tatumasya Dilaksham Ekam Nityam Vimalamachalam Sarvadisakshibhutam Bhavatitam Traguna Rahitam Sadgum Tamnamami <coughs> Narayanam Padmabhavam Vashishtam Shaktiam Chatat Putra Parasarancha Vyasam Sukam Godapadam Mahantam Govinda Yogindramata Shishishyam Sri Shankaracharya Matasya Padma Padam Chastamalakanchishishyam Tam Totikam Vartika Karamanyan Asmad Gurum Shantatam Anatoshmihi Vishwam Darpanadrishyamanyanagari Tulyam Nijantargatam Pashyanatmani Mayaya Bhaihurivod Bhutam Yatanidraya Yasakshat Kuruti Prabhuda Samaye Swatmanam evadvayam tasmai shri gurumurtaye namaidam shri dakshinamurtaye namahaum Sarashiva samarambam shankaracharya madhyamam asparacharya paryantam vande guru paramparam Ishwaro Guratmeti Murti Beda Vibhagine Vyomabad Vyapta Dehaya Takshinamurtaye Namaham Sarva Vedanta Siddhanta Gocharam Tamagocharam Govindam Paramanandam Sadgurum Pranatos Myaham Om Rayana Shri Krishna Paramatmani. Okay, Karma Yoga. Two means of knowledge, one is indirect and the other is direct. Karma Yoga is an indirect means of knowledge. People say, oh, I just want the direct means. I just want the direct path. What do they call it? These modern guys... uh, this is direct path? Direct path. Direct route? Yeah, the direct route to the direct path. Yeah. The great good and Francis Lucille and Rupert Spiron, Spiron, those fellows. The direct path. So well, why should I waste my time on karma, on indirect path, karma yoga, when I can just go on the direct path? This are, people are like that. They just want the 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 result they want moksha immediately <clears throat> the problem with that notion is that uh, you can't get, you the direct path isn't going to work until you've <laughs> walked on the indirect path so uh, karma yoga is the fundamental basic um, most important spiritual practice you can do, basically. Uh, because, and it's a way to manage, it's essentially uh, therapy, but it's not therapy uh, with reference to the idea of fixing, <coughs> fixing the jiva, the individuals, uh, and making them an integrated, better person although it does make the jiva a more wholesome, healthy, integrated person, that's not really the purpose of karma yoga. (coughs) Karma yoga prepares the mind for the direct knowledge. Direct knowledge comes through jnana, just direct teaching. That's through Vedanta. Vedanta is shravana, manana, and nididyasana. Once you've prepared your mind with karma yoga, then you're able to 
listen, uh, reflect, and assimilate the knowledge that you've heard. But if your mind's not ready, uh, then it's not going to work. You can, you can see all the, all the qualifications that we're talking about. Here's another qualification. <laughs> right? We said you have, to, you have to understand that life's a zero-sum game, that joy's not in the object, that enlightenment is not experiential. Those are three basic qualifications. But now we're throwing in another qualification, which is you need to have a karma yoga practice going. Um, to what? To manage your emotions. You, you, you can see here, Arjuna's gotten very, guys, very emotional. Everybody has his emotional issues. And, 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 which is basically anger and depression. Depression usually follows anger. And the way it works, you'll see here in the psychology, that this is just fundamental jiva psychology is that the jiva wants certain things and when the jiva doesn't get what it wants or even thinks it's not going to get what it wants it gets angry gets angry and when it gets angry angry is very di anger is difficult to maintain for a considerable period of time that anger collapses and becomes depression. The rajas turns to tamas. So you have a desire, that's called kama. When you have a kroda, that's, that's anger, that comes when you're not getting what you want or think you're not going to get what you want. And then that collapses into tamas and that deludes you. Tamas is it's a heavy, dull energy that covers your mind and prevents discrimination. So, in Vedanta, we don't, we don't poke around in your past, digging around in your childhood, trying to figure out where things went wrong, where your dad was an overbearing jerk and your mom was a controlling bitch and all that sort of thing, and try to explain all your psychological problems with reference to your childhood. You know, everybody had a childhood but so what you know you're living right now here and it doesn't really matter what happened to you in the past at all right now in the very present moment you want certain things and and those things are not always available when you want them are they particularly the intangible things like love and so forth there are a number of worldly things, ordinary things that are available. Like, I just wanted a cup of coffee. Huh? Now, I'm not angry. I'm angry because I couldn't drink it here. <laughs> I couldn't very well drink it here. I've been talking about Dharma and following the rules, so I had to stand outside to drink it. But um, I, I, that, That's a desire that's easy to fulfill, isn't it? I put a put a a euro in the machine, and then out comes the thing, and then I drink it. You know, the desire and the and the result of the desire, the actions that produce the the enjoyment, um, <clears throat> are very close. And I I can see that when if the machine goes on, that probably the coffee's going to come. Then I look, and the coffee's coming. <laughs> So I'm already getting enjoyment even before I drink it. And then when I drink it, I get, I get one. I become one with my coffee, and I'm happy. My, my the bliss comes, and I'm happy because I removed that coffee vasana, that coffee desire. It's gone. So then I get my bliss. But most of the things we want that are important to us, really important to us, are not immediately available. So there's a gap, and in that gap between what you want, your desire, and the, the, the satisfaction of that desire, there's a room for lots of emotions. 
mostly anxiety. Fear. I Maybe I won't get what I want. I become anxious, fearful. And that fear uh, is completely uh, useless spiritually. It may be helpful in a worldly sense, insofar as if when you get too anxious, you, you may be able to manipulate certain objects with your anxiety, with your anger, with your desire to produce the result you want. But in a spiritual, for a spiritual person, that anxiety, that worry about whether or not you're going to get what you want, get the good job, get the, the woman's going to love you, get, the, get whatever it is, get recognition or fame, or, or get enlightened. There's one. Find people that, that are anxious about their enlightenment. They, they get all, all worked up because their enlightenment's not happening. It's just another desire. So, so what Vedanta says is the reason that you're unhappy is simply because you're not getting what you want or you think you're not going to get what you want. Now, you know, this, this karma yoga discussion presupposes that you haven't looked into your desires at all. That you're assuming that having desires for these objects is okay. This is the first stage of karma yoga. The first stage of karma yoga, you're allowed to have desires for objects. In the second stage, that, that desire for objects is not permitted. But in the first stage, you can want objects, whatever they are. We've defined the objects. You remember the definition of an object. An object is anything other than consciousness, me. Other than myself, consciousness. And anything that I want other than me is an object. So that covers all the whole range of human desires. Animals don't have these issues. Plants don't have these issues because they don't desire their programs. And they're not worried about the results of the actions. You know, I was watching a video of this lion chasing this, this a gazelle in Africa. And, uh, and this, the, the, the gazelle ran faster than the lion. The lion gained on it for a while, but then that, that little gazelle just took off. And the lion had to stop. He realized he wasn't going to get it. But the lion, what did the lion do? He didn't get on the phone to his shrink and say, Oh my God, I'm a failure. <laughs> he didn't get down and get all depressed and all, you know, huh? go through a great emotional upheaval because he didn't get what he wanted. He just dragged his head and started looking around for the next food. That was it. There was no emotional problem that that animal had. But human beings, because they are self-reflective and they have free will, karma yoga is an exercise of your free will. You definitely, As a jiva, you definitely have free will. From Ishwara's point of view, we're going to talk about this, you don't have free will, or seemingly don't have free will. But from jiva's point of view, you definitely do have free will. And so... Karma yoga is, is addresses a person who wants things and can make choices about objects. And don't say you don't want something. It doesn't matter what it is. Desire is what keeps you alive. The day you stop desiring is the day you die, basically. There's always desire. Desire is the energy, the power of consciousness operating in you. And there's nothing wrong with it. Understand. You're going to see here in the Gita, Krishna's going to say, just to make sure that you realize, that you understand clearly, 
that you're not meant to get rid of your desires. <laughs> he says, Krishna speaking as what Ishwara as the self says, I am the desire that is not opposed to Dharma. That means any, huh? Any desire that is not, that doesn't cause you to what? Contravene your own nature or break the rules in the objective reality. Like, like coming in here with my coffee. Huh? That, that, that's an objective dharma. It's my swadharma to drink coffee, but, <laughs> but I come up against Ishwara here, don't I? Ishwar is the rules. So then Yoga Vidya has these rules. They don't want to stain their carpet. They spent millions of dollars re re rehabilitating these old buildings, and they don't want to have to replace the carpet and have it look awful and ugly. And fair enough. You know, and of course I think, oh, no, never mind. I won't spill my coffee. <laughs> but I'll spill my coffee, because everybody spills something sooner or later. You got the Rajas, you got the Thomas, and you break things, you spill things, you lose things, and so forth. So it happens, and so the rules are there. Always. And Krishna says, well, if your desire does not go against who you are as a person, we're talking now about our Swadharma, the Jiva nature, who you are as a person, if it doesn't go against that, and it doesn't, what, violate the laws of the Dharma field, the, the, the empirical, what we call the empirical reality, then your desire, then that desire is consciousness. Think of all the wonderful things that are created by desire. Everything's created by, everything's created by desire. But think of all the really wonderful things that are created by desire. So we're not we're not trying to get rid of our desire. You you have this notion, like in, in Buddhism and other places, particularly in Buddhism. Buddhism is the most famous example, where where the goal is meant to be what desirelessness. That's meant to be a goal. Right. That's what nirvana means. The word nirvana, vana means desire or flame or passion. It's a symbol of flame or passion or desire. And near is a negative. It means without, not. And the eightfold path is a path where you're supposed to what? Do all these actions. It's the same as Ashtanga Yoga, basically. It has yama, niyama, all of the same things, right action, so forth and so on. Meditation, withdrawal of the mind, etc. All those things are there in a Buddhist uh, tradition. In fact, Buddhism is really just a clone of yoga. And there, you're meant to follow this path, and what will that do? That will eliminate your desires. And then you'll get into a state of desirelessness. That's called nirvana. Or, in the yoga world, it's called nirvikalpa samadhi. It's the same state. Or similar. It's a near vikalpa. Vikalpa means a thought or a desire, and near means not. So near vikalpa samadhi is a state where there are no desires. And there's no, actually, there's no desirer either in that state. But we're not, we're not, we're not going to talk about that here until we get to the meditation chapter. So... <clears throat> Karma yoga is not to eliminate your desires. It's to manage your desires and to sublimate your desires into what? The purification of the mind. Remember, the pro I have an ignorance problem. That means what? I don't understand who I am. And if I eliminate my mind, 
That's the no mind teaching or the no desire teaching or the no ego. If I eliminate my mind and my ego and my desires, huh, how am I going to gain that knowledge? And if I'm able to eliminate my mind and my ego and, and all of that, how, how am I going to live my life? My life is useless. Why did you come here? I came here not to be here? That's the, huh? I mean, it, the people don't think this through at all when they, when they get seduced by this elimination of desire idea. Elimination of the ego, getting rid of the ego. You came here to enjoy, have your ego enjoy here. Your ego is supposed to be here and it's supposed to enjoy this world. Moksha is enjoyment. The, the last stage of enlightenment is called tripti, or perfect satisfaction. That ego is satisfied. It's happy here. It's enjoying everything. If I'm not here, how am I going to enjoy it? You might as well not come here if you're going to try to leave here. Transcend your body and transcend your mind and kill your ego and stop your mind and get rid of your desires and all that sort of thing. It's ridiculous. It's a crazy idea. It's just madness. So karma yoga acknowledges the desire that is, is in you all the time. And it said there's nothing wrong with that desire unless what? It contravenes dharma. There's something wrong with it then. Why? What's wrong with it? It's not morally wrong necessarily unless you violate moral principles. But it just keeps the mind agitated. And since the knowledge takes place in the mind, huh, if my mind is disturbed by my what? By desire and anger and fear and depression and all these psychological conditions, if my mind is disturbed like that, covered or clouded or dull or active or angry or whatever, then how am I going to what? One, gain the knowledge and two, how am I going to retain the knowledge? It's, it's not going to happen. All of this experiential enlightenment, people get experiences of what they call the self or non-dual experiences, and those experiences don't last. Why not? Because the mind's not prepared. First of all, the mind's not trained to get the knowledge from the experience, which will set you free. But even then, on an experiential level, the experiences disappear. Why? Because the mind is what? Not prepared. Rajas and Thomas come into the mind, huh? and what happens? And that experience of non-duality and the knowledge of non-duality leave the mind, disappear. And then they want to go back and try to get back the experience without what? Without cleaning the mind. The mind needs to be prepared. That's the whole point here. And indirect teachings are just that. They all indirect methods, and there's we have plenty of methods. Karma yoga being the fundamental method, what for, to purify and clean the mind. You could argue fairly. You could argue reasonably that that karma yoga is even more valuable than jnana yoga. Jnana yoga is the knowledge, knowledge yoga. That's the that's the knowledge. That's the direct path. That's what sets you free. You could argue it's even more important because you can't get free unless you've gone through this process. And, you know, that's a depressing, that's depressing for us people in the, who are born in the West, who are entitled. We feel like we should have what we want when we want it, the way we want it. Isn't it? We are so, since the 50s, and it's just gotten worse so in the last six, 50 or 60 years, we, our whole idea is I need to be gratified and satisfied instantly. If I don't like my wife, I just divorce her and get another one. If I don't like my job, I quit my job and get another one. If I don't like a restaurant, I don't go back. Every single thing. We want it and we want it now. We want the results instantly. 
And so people, in the same with enlightenment, we want instant enlightenment. That's why the instant enlightenment business is going full speed. And the gurus even have what? Even have private jets. <laughs> huh? How do the girls have private jets and facelifts and designer clothes and what? Big houses and uh, you know, all this stuff, swimming pools, the whole business. Why? Because instant enlightenment is alive and well. People believe that they can just go there, sit around with a guru, and what? And get it. Somehow it's going to be, or the, the Zen people, just get it transmitted. Here, give me your third eye now. I'm going to zip. There you go. It's been transmitted. You're enlightened. Huh? The Shaktipad gurus, they get, they run to Amachi for their hug. They go, boom, explode into the transcendental state. Oh, my God. I'm enlightened. Until what? Boom, you come back down again. So, <clears throat> this is just, this is just a practice based upon an understanding. And you can't practice it unless you understand what it is and why you should practice it. You won't, we're going to give you the reasons why you should practice karma yoga. Why it's a smart thing to do. We're not just going to tell you Practice karma yoga, do karma, you know, like you got so many ashrams, you go to them, they don't tell you what it is or why you should. They just say, if you come here, you've got to do karma yoga, which means you've got to work for the, whatever it is, the ashram. And they don't explain the reasons. They don't explain what it really is and why it's good for you necessarily. So... The, this, the, the Gita makes it very clear. You know, that's, that's the topic for this morning. So, and, and it comes obviously after Krishna has taught Arjuna the knowledge. If Arjuna had gotten the knowledge, if he'd been prepared, there would be no karma yoga and the Gita would be finished. It would be a very nice story. Lovely. This poor man, he goes to the guru, the guru says a few words, and what? He walks off happy. Huh? Kills all his enemies or not. Maybe, maybe in that scenario, he's just so happy, he says, oh, to hell with the war, and he walks off and enjoys himself somewhere, whatever. You can, you can imagine any sort of outcome <laughs> with your instant enlightenment idea. But here, huh? This is just basically what happens. You hear the knowledge. You hear it. It's clear when you hear it. But when you get out of the class, <laughs> when you get home and your life starts huh, taking over, that knowledge starts to go away again. It gets, it gets more and more and more cloudy. It gets more and more difficult. You lose sight of what you're doing and you find yourself getting emotional again and caught up in sansara. So this is the way we manage our lives. Karma yoga is how you manage your life. And it, it's, it's an attitude. Karma yoga is right action plus right attitude. It's an attitude that you take with respect to action and its results that purifies the mind and prepares it for knowledge. So Krishna says, we're on in, in chapter 3, verse 39. <clears throat> Krishna said, So far, I have told you the yoga, I've told you the wisdom of self-knowledge. Now listen to the wisdom of yoga, which will set you free from bondage to action. Now that doesn't mean what? It's going to set you free from action. Huh? It means huh? you have no choice about action. Because awareness, consciousness, is shining on your vasanas, on your unconscious mind, and that's producing desires and fears, and that's causing actions. As long as you're alive, that's a fact. That's a, you're you're moving. Life is 
activity is the signature of life. <laughs> That's it. So you're, we're not trying to stop action at all. What are we going to do? We're going to remove our bondage to action. Now, what does that mean, bondage to action? That means that every time, every time you, you say, I want, or I don't want, in your, in your subtle body. Subtle body is your mind. Just call it roughly your mind. Every time in your mind when you say, I want this, or I don't want that, and you do an action, that action produces a vasana. This is a technical term. It's a term that you'll do well to understand. A vasana means a tendency to repeat that action. Vasana is, uh, the word, actual meaning of the word is a fragrance. It's, actions have fragrances. They leave smells. They leave traces. So every action you do with ego and desire leaves a trace in your causal body, in your unconscious mind. And that what? That trace compels you to repeat that action again. We call it vasana at this level, kama at this level, and karma at the physical level. And that karma creates what? A vasana, which creates a kama, a desire, which creates a karma, an action, which creates a vasana, kama, karma, vasana, kama, karma, vasana, kama, karma. What? It's like an endless wheel of activity. It's called the samsara chakra. It's a chakra. It's spinning like this and it has centripetal energy. It sucks you in. Centripetal, centrifugal energy throws you away and centripetal energy sucks you in. It ties you down. It binds you to a spot. There's two kinds of energies in, in, the, in the creation. One is what throws away like a slingshot and the other like a whirlpool. Uh, the, the people run, 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 and it just... Psh, Sucks you, sticks you right to one spot. You can't move. And so, this is why we're stuck in our lives. Because our vasanas have got us stuck. This is why we're bored. This is why nobody is satisfied with who they are and what they've got. They're bored. And that's why in our societies, entertainment is the number one issue. The number one uh, pursuit in our societies is entertainment. It's awesome. Because people are bored. They're dead bored. They don't have interesting lives. They have to do, entertain themselves to what? To cover or mask the basic spiritual boredom that's underlying their lives. It's a sad, sad fact. And obviously, huh, obviously it was true like 2,500 years ago. <laughs> and this Gita was written 2,500 years ago, but it, it, that idea is way earlier than the Gita. The Gita, the poet just put it down. So, when you got enough security, uh, you get bored. And when you have these vasanas, you just get tired and bored. And you want to change. No, no, human beings are never satisfied with what they have or who they are. They always want to become something more than what they are. They always want to have something more than what they have. If, if they've got everything they want, they want something different. Or better. These are the three words that jivas have. More, better, and different. That's their mantras. And all that does is keep this chakra from the vasana to the karma to the vasana going, going, going. And that's what we call bondage. 
you feel that you have to do certain things. If you hear your mouth saying, I have to do this, you don't have to, actually, you don't have to do anything. You're not required to do anything. I, I'm supposed to do this. There's another word, supposed to. Or I should do it. Huh? You see, see the, no, you, don't, you shouldn't or you should. You, you know, you, you're free to act. But no, you don't feel free to act. You're supposed to do this. You should do this. I have to do this. I must do this. Then what? That's called doership or bondage to what? To action. And karma yoga is going to free you from bondage to action. Okay, Not from action, but from bondage to action. In Now listen to this. In this yoga, no effort is wasted, nor are any unsuitable results produced. Ah, that's pretty cool, huh? There's no bad results, and no efforts wasted. What does that mean? In worldly actions, what? You waste a lot of energy, don't you? Doing things that don't give you anything. Don't you? Think of all the energy you just wasted in your life that didn't produce the results you wanted. Tons of things you've done. You work, 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 and you didn't get the result. You work, 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 you didn't get the result. Then you get a little result, one or two results. Then you work, 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 then you don't get another result. Uh, no wonder everybody's so frustrated and angry. Because uh, they get very few results, and they work very, very hard. Human life is really... I, it's. It's for fools, really. Because huh? they work so hard for so little. So he's saying, no, that's not how it is in karma yoga. If, if, with karma yoga, huh, there, you don't waste any effort. Zero effort is wasted. And what? And you don't get any bad results. Sounds like a good deal, huh? <laughs> hey, where do I sign up? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Sign me up for your seminar, sir. Yeah. Even, oh, and what does it do for you, this karma yoga? Even very little karma yoga protect, protects one from great fear. Hey, that's a big upside right there. Then he says, but you need to know what you're doing and why you're doing it. So you should have a clear understanding about the nature of liberation, what it is. Well, what is liberation? Is, is jnanam, is knowledge that I'm limitless, non-dual, actionless, ordinary, unconcerned, ever-present awareness. That's liberation. Liberation from what? From the notion that, what, I'm limited, inadequate, and incomplete. That, that one idea is what? Keeping me bound to this samsara chakra. So liberation is what? And that liberation is going to need, it's going to uh, uh, happen in a clear mind, not in a, in a mind that's cloudy and disturbed by uh, concern for results of actions. Those who lack discrimination entertain many erroneous notions. I'm, one reason I'm quite famous now is because I actually am a person who's had, had the guts to like expose so many of these erroneous or silly notions that, that are in the spiritual world about enlightenment. And people haven't really had the courage to say that there's so many dumb notions there. Because there's something about the spiritual world is, oh no, that's, that's duality. You shouldn't criticize anything. Even bad ideas, if you criticize a bad idea, that's duality. And we're non-dual. And you're not supposed to say anything. It's all one. We're all one. All roads lead to Rome. It's all wonderful. It's all good. No, it's not all good. Some of it's good and some of it's stupid. And and huh? It's just the way it is. Yeah. And so, you know, our whole tradition is a critical tradition. We actually think it's wise to criticize ideas that don't what? That don't set you free. That lead you the wrong way. So he says, that, he says, 
you need to be clear about what enlightenment is. What does any say? So, full of desire, oh, I want my enlightenment, I want it now. Right? I was giving this, this satsang, there was a, in India, in that in a, uh, building right next to a very famous guru. And I was, I'm not nobody, I'm a small potatoes. You know, I had like 20 people or something. Because I used to have a nice little set. And then next door, they were all, they were all chanting. I want enlightenment, I want it now, I want enlightenment. The guru's saying it, and they're all saying it back, chanting, uh huh. Like, like it was a football match or something. <laughs> hey, no, it's great, but, but, but being full of desire doesn't what? That's good, but that's only part of it. So, what is this? What do these people do? Full of desire and believing there's nothing better, non-discriminating people engross themselves in rituals for the purpose of gaining pleasure or power or heaven. We could just say for feeling good. And most of these rituals, of, of the, particularly the experiential or the Shaktipat gurus, are just rituals. They get you high, they make you feel good. They make you feel heavenly. Nothing wrong with it. But nothing right with it either. Understand? <laughs> nothing wrong with it, but nothing right with it either. We just need to understand what the limitation of these rituals are. They utter flowery words concerning various practices. Read those books on enlightenment. Get a, just go to the bookstore, spiritual bookstores. Oh my God! It's like spiritual pornography. <laughs> really? I mean, talking about enlightenment like it was... Huh? It just gets you all excited and worked up, and oh my God, this is most incredible! All these wonderful romantic spiritual things. It's all so mm, nice and sexy and warm and juicy, you know. Oh, I like that. I want. But they never tell you what it is, and they never tell you you're it or why you're it or how to get there. They just talk about it. That's why I call it like spiritual porn. It's. Uh, People, oh, they can, you can sit there and fantasize about what it's like. So he said, Be, because those seeking power and pleasure, and most of the people who go to these things just go for the sangha. They don't go for the sat. Yes, it's a sat sangha. There's precious little sat, sat there. There's a lot of sangha, and the sangha makes them feel good. It's an energy. They feel good. They're happy. You get high. You're with all the people who think like you and feel like you, who want the same thing you want. you got a beautiful situation, nice music, a beautiful guru sitting in front. My God, it's great. It's lovely. Oh, I feel comfortable. I'm with my kind of people. Huh? And so you get high and you feel good. That's called a sangha. It's a sangha. This is a sign of sangha. A group of people, and most people are in, more interested in the sangha, the feel good, and the energy, and so forth, than they are in the sat. The sat means what? The truth. The truth is always there, but what? It's not the most important thing for them. The most important thing is that they're around people who believe like they do, think like they do, and feel the same way they do about a particular topic, whatever it is. A football game is a sangha. Mm -hmm. Football people, they love getting together, they get so high. And they chant and they sing and they drink beer and oh, they, uh, 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 it's a great sangha. Lots of energy. I have more energy than that. I went to a football game with Manchester United and, and uh, Barcelona one time in, in England. I never, met, I never went to a spiritual sangha that was nearly as energetic. <laughs> <laughs> I got so high, it was unbelievable. Huh? <laughs> Those people were concentrated, and they were one. Their mind was one, and it just the the shakti just roared out of their mouths, and the whole energy <laughs> stadium was just shaking with vibrations. It was really cool. You know? so, so most of us are just seeking pleasure here. He's saying, said, make sure you're not just seeking pleasure, and so and what and though and they're easily led astray by promises. He, he's got ritual activities. You know why they're talking ritual activities? Because 
here he's, the Vedanta people are taking the piss out of the people who are following the karma kanda of the Veda. The karma kanda, the section, this is part of the Vedas. Vedanta is part of the Vedas. It's the appended portion of the Vedas. And the other section of the Vedas, which is the largest portion of the Vedas, that's called the karma kanda. And that's a section on karma and action and rituals. And these are all rituals that people do to what? To get to heaven and avoid hell. In other words, to gain things in this world and in the next. The next doesn't mean here. The next means in the, in the state between uh, this world and the next. The next world means what? Your next body. So there's a, there's a, there's a dimension where we can't see it, but where the jiva enjoys the results of its actions before it has a new body, that's called heaven, and there's a state in between but this body and the next body where the jiva enjoys the results of its bad actions, that's called hell. It's a psychological location, and these people are interested in that. So that's why he's, he's criticizing ritual activities. Ritual activity can just mean anything. We're not, you know, I'm a Vedika, but you people here are not generally Vedikas. You don't follow the Vedas. But if you do, then you'll understand what we're talking about here. But it doesn't matter because everybody's involved in ritualism of one source to get what? Pleasure, power, or whatever it is. Whatever they want. So he's saying ritualism is not going to do the trick for you. Just doing rituals is not going to solve the problem. Rituals are good if they're the right kind of rituals. And karma yoga enjoins certain rituals. There are five rituals or yagnas that are that are compulsory for karma yogis. So we're going to uh, unfold those as we go. But, but it's in here. And so what? Because they're, because these people have the wrong idea about who they are, and they're led astray by these teachers that just tell them, you know, do this and do that, follow this ritual or whatever it is. Uh, they they don't develop discrimination. Discrimination is simply the knowledge of what satya is and what mitya is. What the not the difference between the not self and the self. This is called the not self, and this is called the self. Not self are the optics, and this is called the self. Atma, and this is called anatma. Now, in not, the not self doesn't mean it's not the self, because <laughs> there's only the self. Okay. So the not-self doesn't mean it's not the self. It means that until you know that you're the self, you're attached to objects here, to objects, in this case, activities. You're attached to doing things. And that, uh, that attached, those activities and objects need to be understood to be not you. In other words, you're meant to, it's meant to break your identification with certain activities and objects those activities and objects which are driven by what? By your vasanas. There's a whole class of activities and objects that you're indifferent to. Those are called non-binding vasanas or non-binding desires. Those are fine. But karma yoga is meant to what? Neutralize, right? And discrimination is what? Meant to what? Break your identification with binding actions. Bondage, so. So... He's getting it clear now because we're going to explain what karma yoga is and how it works. And he says that that all of the, all ritual activities are related to the three gunas, sattva, rajas, and tamas. We'll talk about that soon. Realize yourself to be free from these gunas and from the sorrow that arises. We'll leave the gunas out right, right for right now. And from the sorrow that arises from contact with the pairs of opposites. Remember, we said every, this is a zero-sum game. There's an upside and a downside to everything. And, huh, and there's always suffering or pain when you're involved with any object. Because what, what? Because when the upside changes to the downside, what happens? You feel unhappy. And when the downside changes to the upside, you feel happy, but you know what? That that happiness is not going to last, so what? 
there's pain, there's suffering, huh? even when you're enjoying. Because you know it's not going to last. Conclusion? You can't beat the system. You can't win by chasing any object here. You think you're going to win? You think you can win? You're not going to win. You're going to get an upside and you're going to get a downside. You chase anything here because that's the way the thing is set up. It's a setup. Be ever established in sattva. Sattva means a clear mind. The gunas here, we can just make it simple. Rajoguna means an agitated mind and tamoguna means what? A dull mind. So, so, in other words, karma yoga, what's it going to do? It's going to get rid of your agitation and your dullness. And what's it going to do? Increase the sattva in your mind. Because sattva is the energy that's suitable for what? Moksha, for knowledge. For the, it said, be a master of yourself. Okay, that means what? You're your best friend and you're your own enemy. Don't count on the guru or God to solve your problem. Okay? <laughs> this, this whole teaching is about self-effort. This is about free will and self-effort. You, you, oh, no, no, I'm not a doer. No, no, I, my Mike to guru told me I'm not a doer. So, what's your sadhana? I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing anything. <laughs> oh, yeah, you are. You're doing something all the time. If you're not doing anything, your vasanas will just cause you to do things. You'll just end up doing what your vasanas tell you to do. So, uh, so, so you need to what? You need to bless yourself. You need to stand up to your desires and your fears, look at them in the eye, and do the work. You have to bless yourself. Oh, God, no, God will do it. You see, uh, I'm not the doer, and Bhagawan's going to give me my enlightenment, and so I don't know when that's going to come, but I'm happy to just wait doing nothing until it comes. Bhagawan doesn't know that you're not enlightened. Did you know that? This Bhagawan, this God, this Ishwara that you're waiting to give you enlightenment, it doesn't know you're not enlightened. It sees you as itself. So, huh? It's not going to bless you. Just, huh? You've got to tell it. You've got to tell Bhagawan this is what you want. And Bhagawan will, will what? Will facilitate your karma. The karma that you create by what? Doing your karma yoga. <laughs> Bhagavan's not just waiting around saying, Oh, I like him very much now. He's been waiting a long time. I'm going to give him moksha. Think it's like, you think it's like that? It's not like that. Ishwara facilitates Bhagavan or Ishwara, or the causal body, if you want a technical scientific term, Right? just facilitates the karma of jivas. It doesn't tell you what to do. It doesn't sit around waiting to help you or hurt you. It only is going to respond if you do some sort of action. Oh, you think, oh God, Bhagavan some big, big, big deity up there in the sky. You're going to pray to it, it's going to do all this. Well, prayer helps. Because prayer at least is some kind of action. So maybe you can get Bhagawan's attention with some prayers. But the be and that is a kind of action. But the best action is what? To do karma yoga. Because there you force Bhagawan to respond. <laughs> You're the one that programs Bhagawan. If not, then you just let what your vasanas, let Bhagawan program you. And since Bhagawan doesn't see there's any problem with your vasanas, since they're Bhagawan's vasanas in the first place, huh? Bhagawan's just going to let you run off your old vasanas and suffer. Bhagawan doesn't care if you're suffering or enjoying. What's it to him? It's not a him. The self is quite happy for you to suffer and enjoy. That's a, you know, 
because it's free of suffering and joy, and so it doesn't even know. So when I appear here, when awareness, I appear here as a jiva, huh, the only way out is to do some work. Otherwise, things just remain the same. That's the whole point here. And this whole funny notion, Ramesh Belsakar, you know, selling that notion without explaining this, the, explaining the science behind it, it just caused a lot of people a lot of grief. And he could have given them some serious practice to do if he, if he knew himself. I don't think he knew himself. He, I, I don't, I, it does, it's not clear that, that he was enlightened at all. He just had a really cool idea that he picked up from the Vedas, just understood a little bit of it, which makes sense. So he just told you half of the story, which you're not the doer. But you know what you're not the doer means? You're not the doer means what? That you're consciousness. <laughs> you're not the doer means you shouldn't do anything. The doer shouldn't do anything. You're not the doer means you're consciousness. You're a non-doer. <laughs> you're a karta. The self is a karta. This doer is called karta. The karta. And the karta does what? To enjoy. You do actions to enjoy the results. Bhagavan or Ishwara is not a karta. If Bhagavan is a doer, then what? Bhagavan's going to have karma like everybody else. Bhagavan will just be a big jiva up in the sky somewhere doing karma to get results. So Bhagavan or Ishwara is not a karta, it's not a doer. Bhagavan's a facilitator of what? Jiva's karma. So I am not the doer means I'm awareness. You'll see the verses here. It comes on. So thinking that I am not the doer means the doer is not a doer <laughs> is absolutely wrong because the doer is always a doer. You're going to be doing until the day you die. That's it. Don't think you're ever going to avoid action, much as you'd like to avoid action. Huh? The actions just keep coming until you die. You have no choice about that. It's not, not in any way desirable or even possible to get rid of action. So, said, for one who knows the self, the Vedas, in other words, meaning ritualistic actions, activities for results, right? are as much use as a small puddle when the land is flooded with water. It means you're already full, you already got everything that you could ever want, you are everything that you ever want, you're a great big ocean, huh? and so what use is, just, you are water itself, and so what use is a small little puddle of water to you? Meaning these small actions that we do every day to get a little bit of bliss, to get a little bit of joy. Because you're full, you're complete, you're whole. You're totally satisfied with yourself, always. So, what use are these little actions, he's saying. Now, he says, you can choose which actions you wish to perform. That, that, what does that do? That means many people, you know, the, the world, the, this Dharma field requires all sorts of different contributions, all sorts of different actions by billions of different jivas. The, the, the microbes, the, these, uh, these moles, they're, they're doing actions. They're jivas. They're digging under the earth and they're pulling up the soil. They're doing, there's a purpose for that. There's a reason for those little creatures there. They're all doing actions to what? To make, you see those little piles of dirt in the, in the, gra in the grass? Huh? Those are jivas. They're doing actions by Bhagawan's will. Bhagawan has programmed them to do that, and they're a vital part of the ecology of the earth. Huh? Everything is programmed to do action here. Understand? So, huh? And so, and human beings are are programmed. They're more complex, 
and they can do more tasks. And so each one of us has been given particular skills. And those skills are what? Given to us by Bhagawan, and we're supposed to what? Use those skills, what? To further or to keep the creation moving, going. That's the job. That's our dharma or our duty here. We have a duty to the creation, to the world. So he says, so you, you can choose whatever, whatever you feel is right for you, you choose. That's your swadharma, and you do actions that are appropriate to that, he says. But, bad news, bad news, you don't have any control over the results. Let's say you have limited control. You have a little bit of influence insofar as you must do an action at the right time and you must do an action that's appropriate to the circumstances. So that, huh, if you do an action at the wrong time or you do an action in the wrong place, time and place, then what? You're not going to get the result. But let's say, uh, so that's up to you. Right? You, you know, if, if I go, if, if there is an internet here, but if I go at 12 o'clock at night, that, that's a very nice action to do, but it's a stupid action. Why? Because the Internet's closed. <laughs> so I'm not going to get a result that I want, am I? I'm going to get upset. Well, why don't they have the, the, the Internet open? What's wrong with this place? I paid $50 a day to stay here, and I can't walk the Internet at 12 o'clock at night. There's something wrong with this place. I'm going to call the, the reception. I'm going to get... So-and-so so out of bed, and now find out why. You, you, uh, the jiva has a certain control. It is the action means it's appropriate, and it needs to be timely, but what? But the result, who knows? You never know from one minute to the next what's going to happen. So who does know what's going to happen? The Dharma field. That's who knows. That's called Ishwara or Bhagawan. If you want to personify it, you can call it Bhagawan. You can imagine it's a big guy up in the sky that loves you and or whatever. Or hates you when you're not doing what when you're not getting you know, when he's not giving you what you want. You can complain to Bhagawan when you're not getting what you want. Or you can love Bhagavan when he's giving you what you want. When you're getting what you want, you call it God's grace. And when you're getting what you don't want, you say it's God's will. <laughs> and what is the principle that Bhagavan uses to give results to individuals? What is the principle? There's a principle. The needs of the total. In other words, this is bad news for the little ego. Bhagawan's not here to give you whatever you want. If what you want serves the total, and the action is connected to that desire is appropriate and timely, you will get what you want, and if it isn't, you won't. So now what does that mean? That means I should take into account my environment, because my environment is just what? Bhagawan. Nobody ever saw the total. There's no such thing as a total. The total is just a concept. All I experience is what? Ishwara or Bhagawan or consciousness in the form of my life, my immediate environment. The physical environment and the emotional environment, in other words, the relationships that I have with people. That's it. That's my life. Physical things and conscious beings. That's Bhagawan. That's God. That's Ishwara. That's what it is. It's not, forget this whole cosmic idea. 
you only see what you see. You only experience what you experience. There's nothing beyond it as far as you're concerned. That's all you can relate to, is what you've got in front of you. Me, the subject, consciousness, and two, the objects presenting themselves to me all day long. That's called the field. This is the knower of the field. We're going to see a chapter later on, chapter 13. It talks about the knower of the field. That's the field, and the field is Bhagawan, and the field is what? Conscious, or apparently conscious. When you put an action in here, there will be a result. Okay, time to break. Thank you for listening to the talk of James Wards on the Bhagavad Gita, recorded at Yoga Vidya Bad Meinberg near Hanover in Germany. More information on shiningworld.com and yoga-vidya.org.